just thank you for your promises, Lord. Hallelujah. I don't want it just back. I want seven times more. I want everything God promised in Jesus' name. Do you mind just thanking him one more time with a hand of praise, if you don't mind? There's no God like you, God. There's no God like you, Father. There's nobody else like you, I know. Oh, for your faithfulness. Oh, hallelujah. My God, I bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I guess you would sit down. Tell you to take just a minute or so and just raise the roof in this place. Shout on the God when the voice will join.
Good morning, Victory Life Church. <laughs> I love that. All right. It is so good to be in the house of God with you all today. It's a wonderful privilege. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jody, and I have um, the wonderful job of teaching the Bible to the kids of Victory Life Church. It's an awesome privilege. And if this is your first time to Victory Life, we want to say welcome. We are so glad you're here. If this is your thousandth time, we want to say welcome. We are so glad you're here. And if you are joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you are joining us. If you're a first-time attender or if you've been here a lot of times but you want to check out and see what's going on at Victory Life or learn a little bit more about us, you can connect with us at the website vlchurch.com. And um, there's so much good content there, good information, and up-to-date schedules. Pastor Otto does a great job of keeping that rolling for us. Um, at Children's Church, we like to use a visual signal to help our kids remember things. And ones that are attached to your body are best because they don't get left in the car. So everyone, take out your fingers. We're going to do our announcements Children's Church style. Wiggle, wiggle your five fingers at me, and then hold up three Fingers. We have three announcements today. The first announcement is about baptism. Baptism is a wonderful privilege and opportunity to show your commitment and love for Jesus. The church will be holding a baptism November 7th. And if you are considering being baptized or feel that God is pursuing you and you want to take the next step in your faith, Find out more about baptism. Will you consider being baptized to show your commitment and love to Jesus? And if you've already been baptized, you don't get out of this one. Will you please join in for prayer with the people who are considering this in our congregation? Pray that they would have wisdom and understanding and peace about this process. If you are considering baptism, you can sign up today. You can go to our website and click the baptism banner. And it will lead you through the links for signing up. You may have been given a card on your way in, or there'll be cards out available for you to fill out, and you can hand them to Pastor Otto in the Welcome Center if you would like to sign up for baptism. What a great privilege to demonstrate your commitment to Jesus. So number one, baptism. Everyone's got it. November 7th. Give me a thumbs up. Everyone got it? Okay. Number two, second finger is the volunteer fair. November 14th, the church is holding a volunteer fair. Our church loves to connect people in service to God. It is a wonderful opportunity to use our talents and abilities to serve him. And so, on November 14th, we will be displaying all the opportunities there are at this church to get connected in service and be the hands and feet of Christ to each other. You can join us either before first service, after first service, or after second service in the South Sanctuary. So plan on November 14th, coming a little early or staying a little late and joining us in the South Sanctuary to see all that's happening at Victory Life Church. So second finger, November 14th, volunteer fair. Everybody got it? Give me a thumbs up. All right, very good. Third finger, if you are a regular attender here and you would like to give, there are three ways to do that. You can give via text at VLC3833 to the number 73256 and then follow the prompts. Or you can give online 
at vlchurch.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, my easy way, is there's a wonderful box that our ushers will have on the way out if you would like to give today. It's wonderful to be able to use our resources to further God's kingdom. Um, Okay, so let's see if we got them all. We have baptism, November 7th, volunteer fair, November 14th, and three ways to give on the way out. Okay, so if you got those, look at your fingers and give your friend a high five. As you high five and you look around the room, from the little kids all the way up to the Mighty Oaks, it is a great opportunity to be together. Romans 15 talks about helping each other to grow in our faith and maturity so that our minds reflect Jesus and that we can then lift up our voices together and glorify God. Will you pray with me as we prepare for worship? Dear God, thank you for bringing us here to worship and learn from the Bible. Will you use our interactions today from worship to fellowship to provide growth in each other's faith so that our minds reflect Jesus and we can lift up our voices together and glorify you. Amen. Come on, let's get ready and excited to worship this morning.
this morning, uh, he brought back to my remembrance Psalm 23, 6, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I was thinking about, Lord, this goodness. What is goodness? And that is his grace. Grace is the goodness of God extended to undeserving people. And he gave it to us anyway. And, you know, we have his saving grace, but we have his grace 
for our daily life too. And that grace encompasses everything that we need. Whether you need strength, whether you need provision, whatever it is for that moment, he has it for us. And his goodness follows us every day of our life. You know, we can look back and see how God has moved in us, how he's provided, how he's always made a way for us. And that is his goodness. Let's bow our hearts as we continue this morning. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, you said in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, that as we follow you, as we hearken to your voice, your blessings will overtake us. They will chase us down as we keep our eyes on you. So, Lord, help us to remember your goodness today and know that your goodness will follow us as we trust you. We give you thanks this morning.
Jesus, we thank you for overtaking us. We thank you that you want to give good gifts to your children. We thank you that you want to lift us in the hardest times of life. And Lord, in the joys of life, you want to be right there, enjoying with us. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would continue to grow as a grateful people. That we would be in awe of what you have done, fully anticipating what you're going to do. I pray, Lord, you'd move among us in such a way as we can palpably feel the presence of God. I pray these things today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, at this time, the children can be dismissed for young disciples. So long. Farewell. We'll see you soon. For those of you who may be new this morning, I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. It's my great privilege to get to bring the Word of God to you. I want to add my voice to our children's directors today and uh, just encourage that for those of you who have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, for those of you who are excited about what God's doing in your life, Jesus said that the next step for you would be to be baptized. And we want to encourage you today, as you walk out from this place, right next to that little offering basket is a brochure that talks all about baptism, what it means, and you can sign up today. I really want to encourage those of you who maybe are leaders of families, who 
would say, you know what, I know that that would be a very humbling thing, but I know that that would also be a very right thing. And so we would encourage you towards baptism, and we'll meet you right here in the tank on November 7th. And there's all types of information there. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to take up Acts chapter 4. We're going to to start off today right where we left off last week. If you remember, we had a, a number of apostles who had been preaching in the temple courts, and they had been threatened not to teach any longer in the name of Jesus. That was the new rule. That was the new threat. And so they, in one accord, prayed to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit supplied the power and the boldness for them to do all that God had for them to do. So we're going to pick up this morning right where we left off in Acts chapter 4, verse 31 and following. A couple of weekends ago, I got to go to one of those kind of farmy festivals where there's all types of things to do with hay and corn and apple cider and burning wood and all types of fun things. I got to go to one of these places, but I, there was all types of things for my kids, and most of them I was just trying to make sure that you know nobody died. But, but I, I have to tell you, we were, were there, and something really caught my attention. There was a tractor pull. There were, there was these tractors, these old-time tractors, and there was a pretty light one, and then there was a medium-sized one, and there, then there was one that could pull a bus. And they had ropes attached to them, and it was sort of a test of strength. So that caught my attention. So I went to that little tractor, and I pulled it, and I pulled it up the the little incline they had for it, no problem. I went to the medium-sized tractor, and my son and my father-in-law are watching this, and I'm sort of looking back like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. And so I begin to pull that medium-sized tractor, and I get it all the way up the ramp. I thought, yeah, yeah, you saw that. So then I went to the real big tractor, and I grabbed the rope for that, and I was seeing five, six, seven people grab hold of this thing. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I gave the rope one tug, and I quit because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so I said to my father-in-law, who was a big guy, I said to my oldest son, I said, come on over here. Help me pull this tractor. So over the course of the next few minutes, we're pulling this tractor up and incline. You know, we didn't really need to make that noise, but it made us feel more manly. And... <laughs> We got this thing moving, and then we began to get it up the hill, and we got it all the way up the incline, and we were like, yeah, yeah, now let's go get some kettle corn, you know? So anyhow, we, we, we walked away, and, and we were walking the other direction, and my father-in-law looks at me and goes, I bet you could pull that big tractor on your own. And I thought, I know what he's doing. And then I thought, challenge accepted. So I went back to that tractor that I thought better of the first time around, and I grabbed that rope. This time I was grunting for real. And I began to move this thing up the incline with every bit of strength in my being. And all of a sudden, when that tractor was halfway up, my knees and hips and back said something to me all at the same time. They said, you're no longer a young man. You're approaching middle age. This is stupid. And I let that rope go, praise the Lord. (laughs) Fifteen years ago, I would have kept pulling. Not today. You know, I realized that there was just as much fun pulling that tractor with my father-in-law and my oldest son as there was trying to man up and do it alone. In fact, when I started manning up and doing it alone, I realized that I was not manning up, I was dumbing it up. I was being an idiot. And so I had to stop. 
But isn't there something in us that wants to have that kind of personal achievement, you know? We, we, we want some type of individualistic merit badge, a little bit of, of self-glory. And even though it's only my oldest son and father-in-law watching, I wanted to prove to them, I can move that tractor. There's something embedded in us, I think especially as Americans in our culture, it's, a, it's an individualism, it's, it's a desire for personal achievement, it's the desire to be recognized, even if the tractor begins getting too heavy. But I tell you, my memory of that is not my failure. My memory of that tractor pull is pulling it with two people that I care about and high-fiving after the fact. You see, more and more people need to be connected to the proverbial rope and pulling in the same direction for the church of Jesus Christ to move forward. Individualism, personal achievement, personal glory need to take a back seat. And we've been talking this fall about the pursuit of the Holy Spirit and the connectedness that God wants us to be about in the church in order to move the kingdom of God forward. And I want to begin to tell you a story of this early church again today that had a radical connection to their church, a connectedness, a culture of connectedness that we can probably not even fathom. But we're going to see some things today in their culture of connectedness that if we can begin to take hold of, if we can begin to see for ourselves, if we can begin to realize in our midst, God could do amazing, amazing things with us. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. We pick up where those... Uh, early Christians are praying for boldness. And when they had prayed, it says, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now catch this. This is new information. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, I want to read one more verse to you that comes a little bit later. It's in 514. But Luke is making some summary statements for this particular uh, area of the Scripture. He talks about the believers praying for boldness, them preaching the word of the Lord with boldness. He talks about them having all things in common and being of one heart and one soul. He talks about the fact that they considered nothing their own, but were living in this kind of communal lifestyle. And then we get two illustrations of it. One is from Barnabas. How many of you remember talking about Barnabas a number of weeks ago? The son of encouragement. He sells a piece of land, comes and lays the money at the apostles' feet and goes, distribute as you have need. After that, we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, different Ananias than the one who prayed for the Apostle Paul. This Ananias and Sapphira are in it for personal glory. They sell a piece of land but hold some of the money back, and they go up and make a big deal out of the fact that they're living in this community, but they're really not. So you have two pictures in the midst of all of this of, of, of the lifestyle that they were living or not living. But then there's one more summary statement in this part of the passage, and it's in 514, and this is what it says. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. If you remember from a number of weeks ago, the earliest church had 3,000 members on the very first day. Good job preaching Peter. 
But then they are now adding and adding and adding. The word of Jesus is going forth. Luke wants us to see a picture of what the church looked like as Jesus' name and fame was being recognized throughout Jerusalem. And I'd like to remind you today that they were living in a pre-Christian culture, living in a place where many had never heard the word about Jesus, many had never seen Jesus, many were not expecting Jesus, but in the midst of that, they are preaching in the face of opposition, and the Holy Spirit is giving them the increase. But what I want you to notice first today from this passage, and I believe is incredibly important, is for the second time in four chapters, Luke wants to tell us that these people had everything in common, that nobody considered their possessions their own. This is not a summary statement about results. This is more of the process, if you will. These people are living in a culture of connectedness unlike anything that you and I can probably achieve today. The Spirit was doing something incredibly powerful in their midst in order to help them live in community in a way that we can barely fathom. But here's the thing that surprises me so much in verse 32. It says, the full number of disciples were of one heart and one soul. It's everybody. The full number of those folks who were staying in Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles in order that they may eventually go out to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, they were in one accord. The full number were connected heart and soul in one mission. I have five kids. I can't even get them in the car at the same time. And we're talking about thousands, potentially, of people who are living this way and acting this way and, and, and engaging this way. And Luke uses these emotive words to try to help us understand their level of connectedness. They were connected on a heart and a soul level. There was an emotional connection between these people. There was something going on in them that they could not deny. He says the soul level, that's incredible. Connected in such a way as as you're looking at the person across from you and go, that's my brother, that's my sister. Nothing can tear us asunder. We're connected on a level that, that only God can supply. It's very interesting that when we have these two statements about them having all things in common, it comes right on the heels both times of Luke describing to us in Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 4 the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is outpoured afresh and anew, and the Holy Spirit then supplies a connectedness that is completely inhuman. A connectedness that is supplied primarily because the Holy Spirit is at work in his church, changing and leading and guiding the hearts of people. Their effectiveness that we read about in 514 was ultimately effective because of the Holy Spirit's ability to keep them unified. Now, I, growing up, had trouble with these passages in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that talks about this community living. I'm a proud capitalist. I don't want to live in community. I don't want you to ride my bike. I like my bike. You don't, you don't, you don't get my chicken parm. I want my chicken parm, okay? It bothers me. It bothers my, my, my sense of how things work in the world. But I want to remind you today that they had a specific mission. We've talked about it a number of times this fall. This early church had everything in common. Why? 
because they needed to. Pilgrims were coming into Jerusalem, and they were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't probably even know that there was such thing as a Christian. They just had heard that, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died for their sins, and that he'd been raised to new life, and, and resurrection was, was a real thing. And they believed, and then they thought, well, I can't leave. I don't know how to be a Christian yet. And so they'd stay. And someone had to take care of them. And so powerful was the presence of the Spirit within the church that the people are living in this community, making sure that nobody is in want. So I just want to make it very clear to you today, the early church were just not a bunch of hippies. Conrad, Comrade Lenin was, was not one of the apostles. No, their hearts were knit together by something so much greater, that the word of Jesus needed to go forth from them, and they would inconvenience themselves in massive ways if it meant the word of God could go forth. This concept that our, our connectedness is supplied from the Spirit is all over the New Testament. I want to show you one other passage where Paul talks about this connectedness that's supplied by the Spirit. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and following. It says this, So if you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, catch this, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in everything, consider yourself more insignificant than others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. I mean, Paul lays it out in the Philippian church. If you really know Jesus, and you've been a recipient of that grace that Rachel was talking about this morning, and you really have comfort from his love, and he's welling up in you a, a sympathy and an affection for Jesus and the people around you, and you're participating in the Holy Spirit, then it is expected of the church to be of one heart and one mind. And the reason for this is that connectedness is the foundation of ministry and mission. Connectedness is the foundation of everything that we do. A heartfelt, unified connectedness in the church is paramount to the success of the church. While preaching and teaching is done by the few, ministry is done by all of us. And each and every one of us needs to come to a place of mission and fill up and fellowship to go from this place and affect the world for Jesus. We need to be unified in heart and mind. Because the task is too great, the world is too tough, the forces arrayed against the church are too strong for the church to be doing their own thing. We've got to be united. Paul knew this in the pre-Christian world, and I believe here in the United States we are beginning to understand this in the post-Christian world. Or should I say post-Christian-dumb world? Because Christianity is not dead. Christianity is going to move forward. God is going to win so many people to Jesus through the church. But the idea of Christianity as political or social leaders is gone. And you know it. And I know it. It's only going to get tougher to stand up for Jesus in this world. That's why the unity of what we do together has to be so strong. A few of you know that I'm a bit of a Civil War buff. I've read thousands and thousands of pages on the Civil War. Something that I enjoy doing. 
Now, not everybody is a Civil War buff. In fact, some of you are thinking, please do not use an anecdote about the Civil War. You will put me to sleep. Hold on with me for just a moment. Everybody usually knows three names from the Civil War, right? Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, Robert E. Lee. Now, if you don't know those three names, raise your hand so we can shame you. No, I'm kidding. So, so those are the three names that, that you usually know. And most of us know that the war went on for four years, and it really didn't need to. The Confederacy did not have the manpower, the, 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 the ammunition, the, the cannons, the, the infrastructure, the food to keep this war going. Yet they had a general named Robert E. Lee, and, and the Army of Northern Virginia was successful and successful and successful over the course of a few years. And in the midst of that, the army opposing them for the Union and Abraham Lincoln turned over from uh, Irving McDowell to George McClellan leading the army to John Pope leading the army to, to, to McClellan leading the army again to, to Ambrose Burnside leading the army to Joseph Hooker leading the army to, to, to George Meade leading the army. Only nerds like me know those names. But here's the thing. If you read anything about the Civil War, you recognize that the reason that the South was winning for such a long time was they had a unity of purpose. And the Northern generals were political. They were backstabbers. They got in the way of one another. They all wanted the higher rank than the rest of the people. And until Ulysses S. Grant came east, there was no hope. Now, Ulysses S. Grant was not a genius, I want you to know. I mean, I've read his autobiography. He wouldn't claim that he was a genius. But Ulysses S. Grant was able to come to the Army of the Potomac and unify the mission. Here was his brilliant battle strategy. You ready for this? He said, generals, here's our plan. We're going to engage the enemy, and after the battle, we will then move on by the enemy's right and try to flank him. And then we will engage the enemy again, and after the battle, we will move on by the enemy's right and try to outflank him. Now, lest you get any ideas of doing something different, my under-generals, if you will, next time we engage the enemy, we're going to fight as hard as we can, and then when the battle is over, we're going to move on past his right. And just in case you want to see my brilliance, the next time we engage the enemy, we're then going to disengage and move on past his right again. And Ulysses S. Grant and the Army of the Potomac eventually moved by the enemy's right all the way to Appomattox Courthouse. They destroyed the Army of Northern Virginia when what happened? They got invested in a unity of purpose and said, this is what we do, and this is how we do it. We're all going to pull the tractor in the same direction, and we're going to see things move for God. That's, what, that's the payoff for us. We need to do what, 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 what they did. Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't always uh, just a, a walk in the park. Many men died. There were many casualties for Ulysses S. Grant and the Army of the Potomac, but they won. And I want to tell you today, we have to take a page out of their book and recognize that if we as a church can all pull in the same direction, God can do amazing things among us just as he did amazing things with them. But what direction are we pulling in? Well, we're pulling in the same direction that these people were. Look at verse 33. It says this. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
and then 5.14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You see, when the church was connected and unified, it created the foundation and the base for the mission of Christ to go forward. This is what Luke is trying to get into our minds and our heads. Don't you think that Luke was writing this with a purpose? He didn't have to tell us the nature of that first church. He didn't have to spill ink on the way that they were connected in this way. But he's writing with a purpose. He wants the readers down through history to know that this was the level of their connection and unity. And that's how they achieved victory for Christ Jesus. But where? Where does this take place? I mean, I'd mentioned to you that in Acts chapter 2 that there were 3,000 disciples made on the very first day. And now we see in in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, that they were adding thousands to their number. How do you get people to one heart and one soul when there's thousands of you? How do you get to that place where you have a unity of mission that keeps driving the engine of Christianity forward? Well, I want to show you two statements made in relation to both of these passages. If you still have your Bible open on your lap or in your phone, I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 46, because it tells us something that's almost repeated verbatim in chapter 5, verse 42, the two places where we see this connection and unity of the church. First, it says in Acts 2, chapter 46, and day by day, these early Christians were attending the temple together, that's the big meeting, and they were breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So if we're reading this just on the basis of what we've read, they were stuffing three to 5,000 people in each home for a communal meal. That is not what we're reading, right? No, they're getting smaller and having smaller gatherings in order to sustain the mission of the church. Now if you have the opportunity to flip over to chapter 5, verse 42, you're going to see something that looks kind of vaguely familiar. Look at what it says. And every day in the temple and from house to house... They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Messiah, that the Christ, is Jesus. You see, Luke paints the picture of where this connectedness took place. It didn't just take place in the general gathering. It took place in the homes of the people who lived there in Jerusalem and had the means to accept people into their homes. They they were having smaller meetings, smaller gatherings, in order to build this fellowship I mean, every pastor's favorite word from the Greek is koinonia, the fellowship of the believers. The second favorite word of every pastor in the Greek is agape, the deep and abiding love that the church had for one another. But where was this expressed? Where was this, where was this heart and soul connection being made? This connectedness was happening when the big church got smaller. When when the gathering at the temple of all the believers then broke out into smaller gatherings of believers, still unified in the mission that comes down from the apostles, but is lived out in smaller gatherings all over Jerusalem. That's what's taking place. This connectedness was happening because they were disciplined to allow the big church meeting to not be the only thing. But they grew in connectedness to one another in a smaller setting. Now, I know what's easy, what, what's easy to say. You know, churches can do this when they remain small. And that's not fair. In fact, having gone to many, many churches over the course of my life, 
I found that many churches don't have a smaller gathering. They have a Sunday morning meeting or a Sunday night and a midweek meeting, and everybody meets all together at the same time because that's what works for them. But we know, and, and I just read the studies this week to reconfirm my numbers, that the average size in an American church is 65 people. And when you have 65 people, you can sort of know and be known and have heart and soul connection because you're all meeting in that same place every single week, and maybe you're meeting there twice and you're having the big gathering together. But the truth of the matter is, those churches that are 65 still need to get smaller in order to get bigger. They still need to break out and, and find a heart and soul connectedness in a smaller setting by which the unity of the church can be exercised and the connectedness of the church can grow. Of course, we know that we also live in the age of the megachurch. We live in the age where there are churches of 2,000 plus. That's the definition of a megachurch. And it's interesting, no matter if you're a small church or a megachurch, you still need to get smaller. If you go to any megachurch, they'll be talking about life groups or small groups or connection groups to make sure that the unity of the church is being built out by the big getting small. One of my best friends in ministry is a pastor at what we would call a megachurch, a church of over 2,000. And I walked into his church one day, and I saw the, the cool life group wall that they had. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I like the way they did that. They're really awesome. And so I said, yeah, this is great. I, I like the way that some of these are regional and some of these are affinity groups. You guys are doing a great job. He said, well, thank you. He said, how many life groups do you have at your church? And at that time, we had 20. So I said, we have 20 life groups. And his face dropped. And he said, that's about how many we have. And he said, I've been, I've been talking, and they had rapid growth. He said, I've been talking to our staff about how important it is for our church to get smaller. You say, well, where do we fit? Well, <laughs> the mid-sized church. And the same thing is true for a small church or a mega church or a mid-sized church. If you want the word of Jesus to go forward, you need to have a base of connectedness that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the big has to get small. It's descriptive and proscriptive. It's all of it. That's where we have to live as we move forward. You know, I've been talking to you all for a number of weeks about how the world has changed. Not getting political or getting into social issues. You know that I don't go there. But we know that it is harder than ever to be a Christian in this country. It's harder than ever to raise young people to be Christian and to stand up for the ethics of Scripture than ever before. We know that we are not in the majority of opinion any longer, and we recognize that if the church of Jesus is going to move forward, we are going to have to be unified and connected like never before. That's it. You say, how do we do that? Because we're a mid-sized church, you get smaller. Well, how do you do that if we become a small church? We get smaller. Well, how do we do that if we become a very large church? We get smaller. Smaller gatherings of Christians connecting around the mission of the church. Many of you know that our mission's very simple. Join the story. Help people get baptized, go through growth tracks. They can find out what it means to be part of the life of the church. Live the story. Be in a life group and volunteer and serve your church in a way that's meaningful. And then tell the story. Help us 
help you to do what God has called you to do to share Jesus in this world. It's very simple. The mission is, is, is move by the right flank, engage the enemy, and move by the right flank again. And it's interesting that if you look at the mission statements of churches all over America, just look for three words. Because it's, it's so simple from the New Testament as to what we're, be, what we're supposed to do. Here's the issue. What is prescribed and described in the New Testament are those two things as the glue that holds them together. The pursuit of the Holy Spirit and the connectedness that only he can provide is what gets us on mission and keeps us on mission. And having a place for people to connect into the church, a seat at the table for every single person God sends us, is going to be tremendously necessary in the world to come. Because they'll be coming out of a world where the tractor's in reverse. And they're going to be pulled and pulled and pulled away from God's agenda for their life. And if we're not able to connect them and hold their hand and bring them to our table, they're going to get pulled back and go to a place where the enemy wants them to go. The beautiful thing about this early church is that it's clear that they fought to get smaller. And if you came to Jerusalem as a pilgrim and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, you had a place to go next so that you could learn about him and connect to other Christians and unify around the mission of the church. But there's a problem. And because I'm a mean pastor, I will tell you the problem. I don't enjoy humor, and I want you to feel beaten down when you leave here. So here we go. I'm kidding. Convenience and connectedness are mutually exclusive. This is the problem that we face as the American church in the 21st century. This is the problem that if we can get past with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be changed. And we will change others. See, this early church had all things in common. There was no level of convenience there. This early church opened their homes. People who were in Jerusalem, that lived in and around Judea and Jerusalem, they opened their homes continually for whoever God would send them. They had a smaller church family to connect to. That was highly inconvenient. Highly inconvenient. Yet there doesn't seem to be any sense of inconvenience among them. They're not all going, Peter, John, it's just too much. Just too much. There wasn't compulsory giving of lands and houses. There wasn't compulsory open your homes. They did it because they were so unified around the concept that people needed to hear about Jesus. No inconvenience was too much for them to bear. You know what Acts 4.34 doesn't say? It doesn't say, but those with plenty of friends in the church recused themselves from smaller gatherings, citing the need to be home for Dancing with the Stars. It doesn't say that. I don't know what entertainment was like in first century Jerusalem. I have not researched that. You know, I recognize that there are people from all over here today. Some of you are still deciding whether or not Victory Life is going to be your church home. God bless you. Hope you'll come to Growth Tracks sometime and find out if we're weirdos or not. Some of you have been burned at other churches, and so you're, you're concerned about, about connecting in because you're worried about what that would mean. I get that. 
But to be honest with you, I'm not preaching toward you today, so you get a free pass. Amen. I'm preaching towards those of you who have been here three years and five years and 10 years and 37 years. I want to ask you if convenience is replacing your desire to see other people get connected. I want to ask you if, if your priorities are in the right place today to make sure that the mission of the church can move forward. Because you and I, we're going to need each other like never before. And when I say you and I, that's a collective you and I. That person who you high-fived when Miss Jody was up here, you're going to need that person more than ever before. We're going to need smaller gatherings of connectedness and unity where we seek the presence of the Holy Spirit together and get our marching orders from him. That's the future of the church. It doesn't matter what denomination that you're in. It doesn't matter the size of church that you're in. People are going to need to hear from the Holy Spirit and move according to his unctions. And they're going to hear that voice in the environment of the unity that the smaller church provides. So, today we have signups for four million life groups right in the hall. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, because I'm not preaching a sign up for life groups message today. Instead, I want those of you who've been here a while to, to look at that early church, to look at who they were and how they operated, the church that changed the world, and just ask yourself a simple question. Is my heart and soul united to the people and mission of my church? Because I want to see Jesus here. I want to pull in the same direction with everyone here. Because the tractor is pulling in reverse in our culture. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have work to do. And I want you to trust me when I say, I don't want to ask you to do more. I'm a middle child. I just want everybody to be happy. But I believe for some of us, God is asking us to do more. He's telling us to open our lives, consider opening our homes, so that those who come into this place, who are just getting to know Jesus, get to see Jesus through us and get to be unified and connected to the mission of the church, just as it was in the beginning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, what an amazing work you did in that first church. How connected they were, how unified, how, how unbelievably selfless they were. Oh, God, by your Spirit, can you do something like that among us? Can you bring us into unity around the message of Jesus Christ? Would you cause us to inconvenience ourselves if it meant the word of Christ moving forward in this world? Would you ask more of us if it meant more people coming to know Christ? Would you require more of us, Lord, if it would lead to more disciples being made? Oh, God, we confess our need of you today. None of us yet know how to do ministry in 2022. 
We don't know what's going to be required of us as Christians in this country. We have no idea where the winds of society will blow. But we do know, Lord Jesus, that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Would you use us? Would you unify us? Would you bring us together under the headship of Christ? And Lord, would you cause us to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the gospel? If that's your heart today, and God's speaking to you, can I just give you a few moments to lift your prayer before the Lord? God's speaking to your hearts about a heart, about steps that you can take. Would you take just a few moments to say, Lord, you're speaking to me today. I've been pulling my own tractor, but I want to grab the rope where the people of God are at. Just take some time with the Lord today as the music plays. Lord Jesus, refresh our callings. Holy Spirit, would you build in us a spirit-fueled unity? And God, our Father, would you give us the boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus in this world? We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand today? If we pray a quick benediction prayer, you might not get rained on. So, no, it's not. That's not our point today, but we are so excited that you've been with us in the house of the Lord. Stop by at the Welcome Center to see Pastor Otto if you're interested in getting baptized or just want to find out more about the church. I'll be under the portico to say hi to you this morning. But God bless you, and I pray God uses you mightily this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. I pray, Lord, that we would pursue you in return. May we find you in our pursuit and be changed by you each and every day. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray. Amen.